Support for Speaking of Travel comes from Asheville Regional Airport, Western North Carolina's gateway to the world. Your safety when traveling to and from Asheville is and always will be our top priority. Asheville Regional Airport. Visit flyavl.com for all your current travel information. Prestige Subaru, offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive Subarus, built with the zero landfill promise. All waste is recycled or reused, with more at PrestigeSubaru.com. Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, discover Asheville's scenic beauty and intriguing history, along with a local handcrafted beverage this winter, while you cozy up on top of award-winning rooftop bars. Tours offered daily, year-round, with safety protocols followed on every tour, and transportation is provided. It's easy to book a tour by visiting AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. And by RomanticAsheville.com. Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Plan your next getaway to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains by visiting RomanticAsheville.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball. Welcome to Speaking of Travel right here on iHeartRadio 570 WWNC. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website that's speakingoftravel.net, on pretty much all podcast platforms now, including the iHeartRadio app, Buzzsprout, Pandora, and even Amazon. And be sure when you visit speakingoftravel.net to sign up for the Travel Club. You'll receive travel news, helpful tips, most powerful form of information sharing, storytelling. Well, my guest today has had a lifetime of storytelling adventures. Neil Bailey has traveled in over 80 countries, more than 50 of them on a motorcycle. He's a photojournalist, a two-time Telly Award-winning television producer and host, and a humanitarian. And Neil, I have to say, you're just a man after my own heart. What can I say? <laughs> Welcome to Speaking of Travel, mate. Thank you, Marilyn. Great to be here today. Well, listen, Neil, I've been following you for quite some time. You've got YouTube channels, you've got blog posts, you've got this great uh, foundation, and there's just so much going on in your life. Give us a little backstory. Tell us about, um, like, what, you know, obviously you're not from the U.S., and give us a little, little backstory on who you are, Neil. So I grew up in southern England um, in the 60s, uh, but the um, I grew up in a single parent household after the age of seven. Um, my mother was, you know, for the most part on welfare during that time. So, um, life was not materially grand. Um, you know, we didn't have a car. We actually had to heat in one room in the house. We used to get a bath once a week, whether we needed it or not. And then my mother would, uh, boil the last of the flavor out of all the food for us. So that was life growing up. Um, I will always credit an incredible education in the English school system. I think that uh, the level of education in England or Britain 
is fantastic. Um, and I also, my mother, um, I credit her for my travel uh, in part. When we were, I think about, I was about 11 years old and my mother was completely broke. She used to rent rooms in the house during the summer. So we all slept, my sister and I would sleep in the dining room on little camp beds and have to get up super early in the morning to make the breakfasts for the guests. And my mother won a 50 pound premium bond. They had these government bonds. And she took every penny of that premium bond and sent me on a school trip to Italy. And I think it was just such a, uh, such a moment in my life that I got to go do these travels. And then in parallel, some of the people that she would take in were um, exchange students. So we very quickly got to interact with people from Belgium and Holland and Germany and France and all of these places. So that whole idea was very much in my system as a kid. Um, by the time I was 16, I'd left school, was on the road. By the time I was 18, I was backpacking around Europe. The early 20s saw me in America, um, traveling back and forward. Um, I Everything from hitchhiking around America, living with a bank robber, hitchhiking, traveling through Central America, dealing money on the black market in war-torn Nicaragua, falling in love with Ravenhead beauties, getting shot at going broke um it was a you know just young and full of piss and vinegar i suppose in the 80s um i had found motorcycling in that time so while i was off traveling sometimes without a motorcycle my goal was always to bring those two things my travel passion and my motorcycling together so by 1986 um i had bought a old honda 550 and convinced a girl i met to come with me and we leapt on the Honda in Melbourne, Florida, and uh, we rode out just within a few miles of the Arctic Circle in Alaska. Well, that was a big trip. Yeah. So that's kind of been where, you know, that led to hitchhiking to California, traveling through Southeast Asia, a year in Australia. And it just kind of went on from there. And then by the late 90s, I was riding around Europe on a motorcycle. And I was alone and doing a lot of note taking, doing a lot of photography. And I sat there looking at the lights of Tangiers in southern Spain. I'd been on the road for about five months. I ended up riding through about 23 countries on that trip over five months and alone. And I sat there looking at the lights of Africa. I said, you know, someone needs to pay me to do this. Because I wasn't a journalist then. I wasn't, I wasn't a writer. I wasn't a photographer. I wasn't a TV guy. And so I made a decision to come back to America and go and get some education, figure out how to turn a computer on get some college education, it didn't last. And I went into the media broadcast journalism world. And to that end, I went out to India in the end of the 90s to do a charity ride across the Himalaya to raise money for cancer victims. Got my first magazine story in the spring of 2000 and then everything from there to here is history. Well, that's a lot, that's a lot of... Um... A lot of history that you have under your belt. And so tell us a little bit, Neil, when you uh, you started writing, you started going over to Africa. Tell us a little bit about how your foundation first unfolded. Well, just to the writing thing, what's really um, interesting to me is I always wrote incredibly long letters to people. And in those days, there were airmail letters. And I journaled profusely so it really was just quite a natural progression when I um, started writing for a living I just kind of transposed well the my foundation I think came out of my upbringing 
um, at the time, like I said, we were on welfare and, you know, pretty threadbare existence. And we had a television show called Blue Peter, and it was a kids program twice a week. And every year we would have a, a, a fundraising drive to raise money for Africa because at that time, Ethiopia was a terrible drag. And as kids, we would all run around the neighborhood collecting recyclable materials to send into meltdown or you know, deconstruct to make money. And then we would buy Land Rovers and grain and things that would all go to Africa. So I think the concept of what I ended up doing with charity, motorcycles and travel really came out of the ideas that I learned from this TV show as a kid. And maybe it took me a few decades to unpack that and understand where I got these ideas from because I was so motivated as a kid. I mean, as kids, we all ran around the neighborhood collecting knives and forks and spoons and melting them down. And they had one of those thermometers, you know, another Land Rover, more grain, more tools. So I think I'm just embodying the spirit of the show that uh, I watched when I was a kid, which you know, forced me, or forced me or, or made me start my charity. And tell us a little bit about what that charity is and, and how people can get more information. I think I always wanted to do the charity for a lot of years. It wasn't until in the mid-90s I started Wellspring International Outreach, and it was started specifically to raise money for abandoned children in Peru. Um, I had a connection to Peru from motorcycle riding, trips there, TV shows there. And then just naturally over the years, we've taken on a small project in South Africa and we've taken on another project in Kenya. So our, our website is wellspring-outreach.org. And it's basically for abandoned and underserved children. And I think a little bit of that came when I was in my 18th year. I went to a volunteer project outside London for seven months. And I basically worked with abandoned kids. And I saw the damage done to kids that couldn't trace their lineage to their parents or orphans or people that were abandoned. The whole idea of the school was I was, you know, quote unquote, a house parent. And the whole idea of the school was just to give these kids some stability, get them up in the morning, get them a shower, get them dressed, get them breakfast, get them to school, get them to dinner in the evening, get them to do their homework and get them to bed because it was something they just didn't have. And I think that always stayed with me as well. So this, you know, this picture that I built in my later life was built up of all these components, I think, from my life moving through. Well, Neil, I, I really admire what you have done and what you continue to do. And when we come back from the break, I want to I want to start exploring a little bit about your project uh, that you're working on now with the motorcycles and and really maybe touch more on how um, just this compassion and empathy that you have to other people is weaving its way into into your work as you move forward. And tell us again how somebody can hook up to your foundation. Yes, wellspring-outreach.org. Or you can always, you know, through Neil Bailey, just put Neil Bailey in. I mean, I have every social media platform under Neil Bailey Rides, and you can always find me, message me. You know, there's all sorts of videos out there, YouTube videos, TV shows about what we do. Well, we are definitely going to keep following you. And when we come back, I want to talk more about about that Blue Peter spirit. Okay, yeah, great. All right, this is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. I'm here with Neil Bailey. We will be right back. Hi, this is Kay. At Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, we put you in the middle of experiencing Asheville like no one else can. 
With an expert guide by your side, you'll have an all-access pass to what makes Asheville so unique. Our sense of place, history, and awe, along with great food and drinks and spectacular views. We follow safety protocols on every tour. Come experience why TripAdvisor awarded our company the 2020 Traveler's Choice Award, placing us in the top 10% of attractions worldwide. To learn more about us and our award-winning tours, visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and I'm excited today to have Neil Bailey here on the show and We've been talking about motorcycles and and uh, doing good good service and good work. And Neil, I I just have to say hello. hello How's it going? Mitch. We're back again. We're back again. So Neil, you were talking before the break about growing up in England, and uh, and I just love that story that you told about your mom getting the bond and and sending you off to Italy. You were what like eleven years old when that happened. Yeah, 11 or 12 years old. Yeah, so it, I want to just touch on that again because, you know, for so many people, having that kind of experience, especially after you had described what it was like growing up, uh, tell me again, Tell me more about that. I just want to hear more of the 11, 12-year-old Neil and what it was like for you when you went on that trip. Well, I just think, you know, we were kids, so of course we were a bunch of little Prats, you know, I mean, I think we got into trouble for throwing our pasta out of the train window because we didn't know what pasta was because we'd never eaten it. But, you know, I do remember at the time going to the Uffizi. I remember going to Leaning Tower Pisa and, I mean, you know, going to Venice and seeing all of the, you know, went to Florence, went to Venice. We, we saw all of this stuff and it, it did have, it left a mark. And, you know, obviously in those days I was very focused on spending my pocket money on buying little presents to my mother and sister and, you know, bringing back these little Fabergé eggs things and postcards and little memorabilia that kind of sat on the shelf as a kid. And I think what was really fabulous about that trip was in the mid 2000s, when I just was in the early days of my first TV show that I did with um, Dennis Gage, the car celebrity, who's pretty well known, we actually did a trip to Sicily and we started in Venice and we took a night train down to Sicily and it was the same train that I had ridden when I was a kid. The decor, the seats, they hadn't updated the trains in what was 40 years. And it inspired this story that I wrote for a magazine at the time after we were obviously there to film a TV show and it inspired this whole um, magazine story about the trip and the whole story even though the focus was riding motor guzzis around sicily for a tv show started with the night train shake rattling and rolling down through the night and how it evoked these memories of riding that same train as a kid so it's sort of in that moment put my life into a it, it connected some bookends of my travel life in that moment for that story that i wrote and i still have that story obviously and sometimes i love I that and have a look at it that really is great. And, you know, there's something about having those kind of experiences. It's it's almost like going home. It's almost like going back in time and, and feeling mm. like, you know, I'm connected here somehow. 
So tell us a little bit about this project that you've been working on, this Laverta project with your with your motorcycle, Neil, because I've been following you on YouTube and, and watching some of these episodes, and I'm just really intrigued with uh, how this project unfolded. Give us a little backstory on that. Well, I think you just actually let the cat out of the bag when you said going home, because the 30,000-foot viewpoint of this is, you know, I'm going to make a documentary called Going Home. And over the last few years, I have found myself scratching around Sudanese refugee camps in Uganda. Um, I found myself in rubber plantations in Vietnam. I found myself in the mountains of Ecuador chasing stories. And a number of those stories have run to ground. I was chasing stories with Vietnam veterans. There was a story about a a very wealthy billionaire industrialist son who died in Africa. And, And... I finally, I think, woke up one day and said, you know, I'm done putting my effort into other people's stories. I'm going to tell my own now because it can't be taken away from me. And my story is that in the early 80s, I bought this Laverta. It's an Italian three-cylinder motorcycle from a company that's no longer in business. And somehow over the years, I've kept this bike, although it's in pieces at the moment. So, you know, I went through a, a, a very tragic, for me, incident in the mid 2013 2015 time so i think there's this analogous rebuilding process where the actual youtube channel and the laverta project you talk about you're seeing this motorcycle getting rebuilt coming back to life so that when it's built and we have a nice youtube following we can take everybody to england to create the going home documentary and i think it parallels a little bit my rebirth and my old career and everything that went wrong in my life at that time period and it's, it's sort of a rebuilding um, obviously, I think COVID um, kind of threw everything a bit of a wobbler. In 2020, we had to kind of deviate off a bit. That's why I have now a studio show and other projects. But the fundamental of the Laverta project will come back. We'll just have a bigger audience to bring it together. But as you say, the ultimate goal of this restoration of this motorcycle, this creating of the Laverta project, or the building of this YouTube channel is all channeling towards this documentary called Going Home, which connects my life then as a youngster to now in maybe in a similar way that I saw that my mother sending me to Italy and then that train carriage experience with Dennis on my TV show. Well, it is like you said, being able to look from a really high perspective that Mm. you're way up here, which kind of reminds me, I I happened to watch a a little YouTube video of you recently uh, jumping off of this gigantic uh, God, it was just the t- like you were so high up doing this bungee jump, Neil. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what is going on in your head when you're standing up there and and free falling like that? I mean, you're harnessed up, but talk it's just about so cool. It's so calming. Oh my gosh, talking about so being peaceful. able to see from a higher perspective. <laughs> well, you know, and that's part of the, the Wellspring deal is we take people across South Africa on motorcycles to give them an experience, which is the whole Neil Bailey Rides concept. You know, take people to the developing world on a motorcycle, give them this incredible experience where they get to see the country from the ground level on their motorcycles. And then at the end, we take them to the projects where, you know, hopefully they will put their hand in their pocket and donate. Um, and one of the things, yes, you know, we're riding across South Africa is we go past the Blue Crans Bridge. It's the highest bungee jump in the world. And how can you drive past the or ride past the highest bungee jump in the world and not go jump off, right? 
Well, you you definitely uh, showed <laughs> us what that looks like. So, Neil, yeah. you've got the the Laverta project and and the you know this long term being just taking it nice and easy, letting things unfold project and and all of it going back to to the foundation uh you've got the neil bailey rides tell us again how people can get more information how we can get all hooked up with you get connected and uh and, and support what you're doing because i mean know, biggest thing i think right now is get on neil bailey rides youtube channel and subscribe because we have the old tv shows a lot of the work i've done on motorcycles the current studio show we're doing which is just kind of abandoned it which is having a bit of fun with motorcycling there is a whole section for wellspring videos so you can get to see the stuff that we're doing around the world there are videos about peru and you know my goal obviously you have to earn a living every day and i would like to be able to earn my living through youtube so that i can bring these experiences to people and not have to say oh hey i've got to go out and do this or i got to do that because right right now i mean i'm still a working journalist for you know, to raise money, um, you have, I mean, you can be an international man of mystery and go traveling around the world, but you still have a light bill and kids and cars and you need to buy underwear once in a while. So, yeah, I think the best thing, you know, for, for the foundation for myself is to get the YouTube channel built as we move towards this going home documentary and obviously more Wellspring work, which in 2020, we haven't been able to do very much of. I can't go visit my projects in Kenya and Peru and South Africa because we we've been locked down this year. Well, if people want to donate to to the foundation, Neil, what would be the best way uh, that we can that we can do that? Well, if you go to wellspring-outreach.org, um, there's I think most pages have a donate button, and you just click donate. You can do monthly, one-time donation, and all donations are tax deductible. It's a five hundred one c three. Charity, so your tax, your donation does become tax deductible if you want to take that deduction. Well, Neil, I can't thank you enough for being on Speaking of Travel today, and I'd really love to have you back again as the year goes on and catch up and find out yeah. how your project is moving along. I'm just in awe of what you do, and and I really appreciate you know just keeping it out there, giving us giving us something that we can look forward to as well as your. As you're building, we're building as well. So I just want to give you a big shout out and, and thank you so much for all the work well, that you do. Thank you, Marilyn. I mean, like I said, I, I've just been extremely lucky in life. I, you know, I've always had people that influenced me to travel and I chose travel and experience over material things. And I just was just, I've been so lucky for that. Well, we're lucky that we know who you are and, and that we can follow you, Neil. So Thank you again. It's really wonderful to to get to know you, and I'll look forward to meeting you in person sometime. Oh, fantastic. Thank you kindly. Well, I think we can all agree that this is a time of heroes. This is a time that uh, it's just a test of character, and there's so much financial resilience and a time that has ignited so many challenges, especially for the restaurant industry. This is so true. The very people who have fed us when we've needed comfort, popped bottles for us when we've celebrated and bought pizza to our doorstep, they need relief and they need it fast. And coming up to share what we can do to help is Jane Anderson, the executive director of AIR, the Asheville, North Carolina's Independent Restaurant Association. 
So stay tuned. Green is good. Local food, less oil. Renewable energy, sustainable peace. Tree hugger. Say no to GMOs. Be kind to animals. Don't eat them. Go solar. Coexist. Don't buy a dog. Rescue one. Keep Asheville weird. We just read the bumper stickers on the back of a Subaru. Welcome to Subiville. Prestige Subaru. On the web at PrestigeSubaru.com. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. When the coronavirus pandemic hit us back in 2020, it forced shutdowns and general upheavals across the restaurant industry around the world. And here in Asheville, North Carolina, the industry responded not by quitting, but by stepping up and fulfilling the mission of making sure customers were served one way or another. It was and is a time of heroes. This is a time that is as much a test of character as it is of financial resilience and a time that has ignited many challenges for the restaurant industry. From having to close dine-in service and maneuver to takeout and delivery models to beginning the unpredictable process of reopening and rehiring, this is a time our community can step up to support them any way we can. And here to update us on what we can all do to support our restaurant community is Jane Anderson, Executive Director of AIR, Asheville's Independent Restaurant Association. And Jane, thank you so much for being here on Speaking of Travel today. My pleasure, Marilyn. Well, Jane, I know that there are a lot of challenges facing the industry today. And give us a little bit of a, a, you know, take us backwards in time to when this uh, pandemic first hit and when things really started to to get shaken up here? We started hearing about the pandemic, I think, like anyone else did toward the end of February. And as we got into March, um, everyone started taking it seriously. We chose to call a uh, meeting of our owners on March 16th. Uh, the building we're in has a large enough room for, for a good number of people. And we were just on the cusp of limited gathering numbers. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, we had a lot of people in a room. Um, standing room only, and our guests were Fletch Tove, who's in charge of all the emergency services and preparedness for Buncombe County, who has played a key role in all things COVID in Buncombe County. We had Dr. Jennifer Mullendore, who at that point uh, was the acting uh, head of the Buncombe County Health Department. We also had a representative from the SBTDC. And we had Felissa Vasquez, who is in charge of restaurant inspections all year long at the Buncombe County Health Department. And uh, they were all physically there. We probably had 75 of our owners there. And what I can say is everybody 
just needed to hear what those folks had to say. And as always, and it's very common with air restaurant owners, the fact that they were in a room together was so important. And you, as you can imagine, there wasn't much to say on March 16th. And as things continue to roll out, AIR has been part of a COVID business task force that Buncombe County put together. And in the early days, I was part of that. And we had phone meetings every day of the week in the beginning because things changed so quickly. And then it was, I was the conduit then to our members and then back to uh, the folks who were around the table. Fast forward, we're still doing that COVID business meeting, except we only do it Tuesdays and Thursdays at this point. Uh, it's a great public-private partnership and AIR um, is, is grateful to be at that table. So what we've dealt with uh, in between March 16th and now is what everybody's dealt with. We were shut down. We have restaurants that never in their wildest imaginations thought they'd be doing a takeout business or delivery business. They had to look at what travels well because everything on their menu is really designed to be served uh, to seated guests, and that just wasn't possible. We had members of the community call and say, hey, how come your restaurants are more, aren't more like Chick-fil-A? And that meant, you know, they're, they're in the takeout business all the time. They got it down. Guess what? Ours are not. So our restaurants had to, had to learn a lot and work together and work with suppliers and um, and then we had some other things happen. Um, for instance, uh, the governor imposed an 11 o'clock alcohol curfew. And we were fine with that. And then the county and the city decided they wanted to do a 9 o'clock alcohol curfew, which was not okay with us because many restaurants, um, most you know, their, their significant re revenue comes, comes from alcohol sales. So we were able to, to uh, defeat that. And there have been a number of other things that have happened. But the bottom line is our members are incredibly tenacious and they're incredibly resilient. And they are really heroes because they have done everything that they can to keep, to keep, uh, to keep going. And I know that there have been just so many troubling times, and yet I just want to give a shout out to the Asheville Area Restaurant Association because they do work together. It's such a collaborative group of people helping each other, and that's something that from the very beginning, the community really was able to see that here's an industry where people cared about their employees. They cared about the people who were working with them and doing everything they could to mm -hmm. keep them employed, to keep them fed. And, and safe. And safe, absolutely. Absolutely. So Jane, what do you see for, uh, for moving forward uh, for 2021? There is some optimism. Things are going to change and, and get better. What, what, do you, what can we do? Let me ask you that. What can we do as a community to really support 
our restaurant friends? I think whatever stage of regulation we're under, just try to do a lot of business with your favorite restaurant. We're poised on hearing some some new information from the governor. We don't know what it's going to be. But the bottom line is if you can take out or get delivery from an independent restaurant, that's the best thing you can do. And is there a way that we can find out more information? Do you have a website? How can people find out more? We designed a website early in COVID to, to provide information to people. It's called foodinashville.com. And we tried to keep up with who was doing takeout, who was doing dine-in. Um, at this point, uh, we're redesigning it because we have some restaurants that have decided to close in January. So we really have put a lot of time and energy into that because, as you can imagine, it's ever-changing. So uh, I would suggest that you keep it, you know, that you bookmark foodinashville.com and uh, we are doing our best to keep um, an accurate accounting of who's doing what. Well, Jane, I can't thank you enough for being here and giving us an update, and I'd like to have you back again throughout the next few months to, to give us some updates and keep us informed on what's going on our community and communities nationwide and worldwide really depend on our our restaurant associates to keep us fed and to keep us happy and and we know that you're doing everything that you can to roll with these punches because they are they are changing like you said they're changing all the time they are and our restaurants are doing a great job they are doing a great job and and i want to thank you again for the update and and hope that we can do everything that we can to to support what what you and the Restaurant Association is doing right here in Asheville. Thanks, Marilyn. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jane, for the update. And, and let's all do what we can to keep our restaurants going and let's just eat more. Think about ways that you can <laughs> that you can eat more. And, you know, a lot of restaurants have merchandise you can buy. There's just a lot of different ways that you can help. And I am trying to be optimistic about what's ahead. And to be honest, I'm beginning to plan some spring travel. Coming up next is Tina Kinsey from the Asheville Regional Airport to fill us in on some helpful tools and travel tips and what we can expect as we move from winter to spring. So stay tuned. Why not make the most of the beautiful winter season and plan your next vacation or staycation to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains? Create your perfect winter wonderland adventure in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Not just for couples, RomanticAsheville.com is a 900-page online guide covering a nearly 100-mile radius around Asheville, North Carolina. There are so many special places and awe-inspiring vistas around nearly every corner. And this is the perfect time to create safe and memorable adventures across western North Carolina. Visit RomanticAsheville.com today. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. It's not even the middle of January, and I think I'm tired of winter already. It's cold, it's dark, and spring is months away. 
So what can we do to feel revitalized, even in the most wintry of days? How about plan for some spring travel? Welcoming in the new year and providing us some relief from this winter tiredness with good news about spring travel is my guest, Tina Kinsey, Director of Marketing, PR, and Air Service Development at the Asheville Regional Airport. And Tina, welcome to Speaking of Travel in this new year. Happy New Year. Oh, you too, Marilyn. It's always good to be here. Well, you know, Tina, experts are very optimistic about travel in 2021, and we all hope the darkest days of this pandemic will soon be in our rearview mirror. What are you seeing at the airport, and what are you hearing as far as trends go as we move into the new year? Well, interestingly, we have seen a number of people traveling during the holidays, even though there are there were some advisements to not do that because of the pandemic. There were a lot of people traveling. And the good news around that, a couple of things. One, we really are seeing great compliance with the safety measures that travelers need to take when they are traveling by air. So they are wearing their masks. They are washing their hands, using the hand sanitizer, uh, keeping their distance in the airport, all of those things. And the other really positive thing about air travel is that the air quality is very safe on commercial airplanes. And so that combined with the mask wearing really makes it a a good experience. So now with the news of the vaccine and the fact that vaccines are beginning to be administered, there's some optimism uh, that we haven't seen in a while uh, in the air travel industry. You know, we're, we're seeing people dreaming about travel, uh, moving to booking that travel, uh, you know, moving forward in the future. And so I do think a lot of people are thinking about that spring break, early summer those leisure trips that we've had to put off for so long, um, I think I think we're seeing people really believe now. Okay, I think I'm going to do it, and you know I think that's great. And the airlines, as a reminder, they still have in place very flexible booking options. So you know it's feasible to put a trip on the books, uh, and then even if you have to change it later, it's pretty easy to do so. Well, I know when when you go to your website, your flyavl.com website, you have all the information there for what the new protocols are, how people can um, see what's going on. And I know that you have some new travel flights coming up in the spring. Let's talk a little bit about that. That's very exciting. It is exciting. You know, um, last year and oh my gosh, it's in the rearview mirror. So we can say last year, you know, there was, there was a lot of news that just was not fun. It was not um, positive for the travel industry um, and really for most industries, you know, that we certainly um, are not the only industry out there who had struggles but in the midst of all of that, we did have some, some moments of good news. And one of those was um, one of our airline partners, Allegiant, announced a brand new nonstop flight uh, that they are launching in early March. So just a couple of months away, they are flying nonstop from Asheville to Las Vegas, which is awesome. That is the farthest west nonstop flight we have ever had out of Asheville Regional Airport. So it's really a big deal. 
And Allegiant is very committed to this region. Um, they're an ultra low cost carrier. They specialize in connecting people uh, point to point to um, popular leisure destinations. And so they will be connecting people to Las Vegas, but then also people from that area to Western North Carolina, which is really great. And they've timed the flights so that you can have a nice long weekend um, in Vegas. And so it's very exciting. I'm looking forward to celebrating an inaugural flight in early March. That is so exciting. And when I think of Las Vegas, I also think about um, the Grand Canyon and and all the natural resources that are out there that you could go to be a part of. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I tell people this all the time, just personally, I have flown into McCarran International Airport so many times um, and I'm not going to hang out in Las Vegas. It is my gateway to some amazing places in the West um, and some of my favorites to visit. Uh, once you land at McCarran, um, I think one of my most magical trips was headed, uh, I headed out uh, and went to Death Valley National Park, which is uh, just right over the line in California, and then kept on going to the Sierra Nevadas um, and did some hiking there. I've I've gone north into Utah, um, you know, to Zion National Park, and even as far as Bryce Canyon. So you know, there are some amazing places you can you can visit once you land right there in Las Vegas. Well, I know in Western North Carolina, that is going to be a welcome event when you have that inaugural launch of that flight to go out there. Absolutely. I'm just going to be sad that I'm not on the plane. I think I'm going to have to figure out my next trip out that way. Well, I think we should definitely uh, discuss that in more detail, Tina. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so before the holidays, we were talking about the survey that you were doing uh, through your website. What is that looking like now? You've probably had more people respond to that survey about how they feel about travel. What are you, what are you seeing now with the turn of the, the new year? Actually, Marilyn, we are going to push that out again in a, in a big way in the coming weeks so that we can get a good feel, you know, post-holiday, post-vaccine news um, to see uh, how that sentiment uh, is changing with travelers. So really what I know at this point is more anecdotal, but let's talk about that in coming weeks after we after we push that survey out again. Absolutely. Well, tell us again, uh, the, we know your website is flyavl.com. Uh, when we go to the website, just give us a little idea of what we can find when we're there. Absolutely. So just right there on the homepage, uh, at the very top, there's a, a kind of an alert box. And that is an easy access point. You just click there and it takes you to all of the information about how the airport and airlines have responded to COVID and how what we have done to enhance the travel journey to make it as safe and healthy as possible. So that's there. And then you scroll down and right in the middle of the homepage, you can take our survey. We've got a link to that. And then if you go all the way down to the bottom, we have what's called our social hub. And that's an area where you can connect with us 
in a number of different social media platforms. So easy one-click links, as well as uh, a spot where you can put your email in and sign up for our e-newsletter. And I I do want to just give a little shout out to your e-newsletter. I am subscribed and I love when it shows up in my inbox because you have the most current information. And it's been very helpful, especially uh, through this journey that we've been on, to be able to see the progress and the teamwork and the collaboration that's going on there at the regional airport here in Asheville. And and also just being able to connect us to the airline industry and the aviation industry overall to keep abreast of what's going on. Well, thank you, Marilyn. Um, you know, you're a probably a top fan. You're you're a big travel buff. And so uh, we appreciate the your platform as well. You know, it's a good partnership. Well, thanks, Tina. And, and again, Happy New Year. This is going to be a good one. I think we all, as you said, are going to be a little bit more optimistic and really look forward to getting out, especially on that new flight to Las Vegas. That's going to be really exciting. So thank you. And uh, Let's just let's just keep going in this most positive way. All right. Thank you, Marilyn. Talk to you soon. Well, thank you again to Tina and thanks to Neil and Jane for joining us today on Speaking of Travel. Daydreaming about future travel for many of us has become a regular pastime. So this might be a good time to start planning our 2021 adventures. There are so many good deals, like Tina said, and many airlines have waived their change fees. So reserving your 2021 trip could mean very little risk of losing money, even if you have to rebook. Still, the emotional and financial risks are different for all of us. But one day soon, we'll all get back to traveling. We'll have some new protocols and things will be a little bit different and we'll probably get back to complaining about things. But remember, even simple trips, scenic drives, camping weekends, staycations in and around your town can feel fun and luxurious. I know I'm eagerly planning my first big trip for 2021. We're all waiting for the rebound. Now with the new year comes new hope. So in the meantime, take more hikes, enjoy dining in whatever way you can and support your local restaurants. This coming year will be one for all sorts of new ideas and new ways to travel. This past year reminded us how precious life is. As we all venture out in 2021, I hope that we can view our trips through a new lens and realize just how lucky we are to travel. Because remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy. 